This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and this show is brought to you in association with John Cat Educational, a leading publisher of books, directories, educational guides, and magazines specifically aimed at forward-thinking schools in the UK and beyond. Visit johncatbookshop.com to explore their full range of titles and advance your own professional development today. Welcome to The Late Late Show. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Tune in live at ttradio.org, or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. Good evening, everybody. How are you doing? Welcome along to The Late Late Show. My name's Sarah Langdon, and it is Monday the 5th of December. How are you all doing? I hope you're all all right. How have you got your Christmas trees up? This show is brought to you in partnership with John Cat Educational, a leading publisher of books, directories, educational guides and magazines specifically aimed at forward-thinking schools in the UK and beyond. Have you checked out their latest releases? Don't miss out. Visit johncatbookshop.com to explore their full range of titles and advance your own professional development today. Happy reading. This episode of Teachers Talk Radio has been made possible with support from Witherslack Group, the UK's leading provider of SEN education and care. They're here to support you too through an ever-growing offer of free resources including webinars, podcasts, articles and events aimed at supporting teaching professionals like you. Visit their website at www.weatherslackgroup.co.uk to find out more. This is Teachers Talk Radio and this is Teachers Talk Radio News. ITV News reports on the workload of educational psychologists in Gateshead who say they are overwhelmed as the number of children needing special educational help has risen by 117% in eight years. This has placed a strain on SEND services in the area, but the load has been especially large for EPs. Deborah Mason, service manager for SEND in Gateshead, said that there had been a wait for some people to complete their doctorate, although assistant ed psychs have been used to enhance the team. This report comes shortly after the Secretary of State for Education in England, Gillian Keegan, sent a message to the education and care sector about SEND reform. In the message, Ms Keegan said she believed that pupils and students should always be able to get a high quality education and receive the right support. She acknowledged the challenges of a complex system but said that her department wanted to take time to listen to children and parents, as well as those in the system, before publishing a response to the SEND and Alternative Provision Green Paper. An improvement plan would be published in the new year, she added. Part of the plan would include investing £21 million into training 400 more educational psychologists. For young people in areas like Gateshead, this funding can't come soon enough. The BBC News website reports on claims that the University of Derby has suspended a student for taking her baby into lectures. The female student is halfway through a degree and a tutor had agreed to her taking her son to lectures as a short-term measure, but this was later overruled. As the student was breastfeeding, she felt she had no option to continue, but was suspended two weeks ago. The student believes she has been discriminated against because she has a baby but stated she had never allowed her son to disrupt the learning of others. A university spokesman said areas were available on campus for those who needed to breastfeed, but that taking a baby or child into lectures was not allowed for health and safety reasons. Meanwhile, Ulster University has defended itself against claims that it plans to open a campus in Qatar and that will have a negative impact on LGBTQ rights. The university is due to open the campus in Doha in January next year. 
Speaking on BBC Radio Ulster, Hannah McCulloch, Chair of the LGBT Society on the University's Coleraine campus, said she is worried that the university is putting financial gain over a community within their community and that it will damage the establishment's reputation. A spokesman for the university said, Ulster University believes that education is a route for societal growth and that many UK universities had partnerships with countries across the Middle East. In Wales, the government has announced free Welsh lessons will be extended to the entire education workforce, including non-teaching staff. Alongside this, a new framework for Welsh in English medium schools has been published, underlining how the Welsh language is integral to the new curriculum for Wales. A sabbatical course is also available for teachers to learn or improve their Welsh. Minister for Education and Welsh Language Jeremy Miles said, We want everyone to enjoy using the Welsh language. We are ambitious for our language and I am pleased to be able to extend the offer of free Welsh lessons to all school staff. Finally, in a week that saw the release of Department for Education statistics, which show a 20% drop in those entering the teaching profession, many media outlets comment on the possible impact on young people. The number of entrants to initial teacher training fell from 36,159 to 28,999 between 2021 and 22 and the 2022 to 23 training years. The government attributed the fall to the reduced number of new entrants and an increase in the target. But critics pointed out that the government's recruitment targets for secondary school teacher training has been missed in nine out of the last 10 years. A DfE spokesperson said, For teacher trainees in 2023, bursaries and scholarships in key subjects will be available. And we remain committed to raising the starting salary to £30,000. This has been your Teachers Talk Radio News with Joe Fox. This is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Hello, did you get a bargain on Black Friday? This week I'm going to talk about deals. First, a little bit of history. Tom will be proud of me. Reading up on Wikipedia and seriously condensing what I found, the term Black Friday refers to the Friday after Thanksgiving when the Christmas shopping season starts. Supposedly, it started in the 1950s. Recently, it marked a time of serious bargains, riots and fighting for unbelievable deals. However, are you getting a bargain or are you just led to believe it? Seeing as last Friday was Black Friday, which began last Monday, and next week will still be Black Friday, or for some stores Cyber Monday or Cyber Week, when you get the best deals online, how do you know a price drop? is actually a deal. Well, the short answer is you don't. I have a couple of pointers here that may help you, but the underlying advice is buyer beware. If I go with the best known online retailer, when using Amazon, there's a nifty little price tracking website called Camel Camel Camel. This will show you the price data for a product over the time it's been advertised. You can see when it was more expensive and less expensive. If you're on your phone, where most shopping takes place, Hit the share icon found next to the product image, go to Camel 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 and paste it into the search box. You can even sign up to email alerts for price drops and add target discount alerts if you're not in a desperate hurry for an item. The next trick is to simply do a web search for the product. You may find it cheaper in a large supermarket store and although you may need to go and collect it to save on postage, it may be worth the journey. There's also hundreds of coupon and price comparison sites where you may be able to find further discounts. The only caveat being the time you spend researching may actually outweigh the saving you make. I return to my initial warning. Buyer beware. I hope you get a deal leading up to the holiday season. As always, I'd love to hear your favourite shopping online tips. Let us know at TTR2022. I'm Steve Woods and that was Two Minute Tech. Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods. Your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Welcome along to Teachers Talk Radio. This is The Late Late Show. First of all, thank you so much to Tom and his guests, Khalil and Daisy, for their show. I've been listening this evening. It's just been amazing. And I've been watching it kind of unfold on Twitter as well. Um, and I must just mention one of the tweets that came in. Quote of the night from Daisy. You can't assessment your way out of a curriculum problem. Isn't that just everybody's absolute favourite way to just sum that up? I absolutely loved it. I loved it. I loved it. I loved it. This evening's show is focusing all on teaching abroad. That is my topic this week. And I am actually really super excited because I have two guests with me tonight. Now, my two guests this evening are Debbie Bryden, 
and Michelle McLeod. I'm really excited to have them because not only are they incredible teachers who are going to be sharing their fantastic experiences of teaching abroad with us this evening, but they are also two colleagues of mine who I worked with when I very first started teaching, when I was when I was just a baby teacher. Um, and they became great friends and we've, I've, I've been really lucky to stay in touch with them. And I kind of feel like that's really wonderful bearing in mind that we are now talking about this tonight. So let me welcome Debbie and Michelle. Ladies, are you there? Hi, yeah, I'm here. It's Debbie. Hi, Debbie. Hi. Hello, Michelle. How are you? Thank you. How are you? All right. I told you there'd be tech issues on my end as well, didn't I? <laughs> we were, what was really funny was when we were preparing for the show tonight earlier in the week, Debbie and Michelle and I, we had a little video call about it. And we were like, oh my God, everything's going to be fine. We're going to talk for ages. We're going to have so much to say. But what if the tech doesn't work? So it's good that it didn't work for me rather than you guys having issues. <laughs> it's absolutely fine. So who would like to start? Because both of you have got very different experiences and journeys of teaching abroad um so do you know what debbie i'll come to you first how first of all tell us a little bit about what you're doing now okay so currently i'm teaching at a secondary school in northampton um teaching criminology psychology and sociology excellent stuff and when was it that you first had the opportunity to teach in a different country um it was 2013 so I think okay. things have changed a little bit and they have moved on. So I guess the experiences I'm going to talk about are ones that were nine years ago. Right. OK, that's that's cool. That's cool. Where was it that you went? I went to Ghana in Africa and it was mm -hmm. amazing. And yeah, I'm looking forward to chatting about it with you guys. Brilliant. Thank you so much. Thank you for coming on as well. Michelle, what about you? What is it that you're doing at the moment and where was it that you travelled to and when? That sounded like blind date, didn't it? <laughs> What's your name and where do you come from? <laughs> Currently working for um, an, a medical um, pupil referral unit. So it's called Hospital and Outreach Education. And okay. it's um, students that are all too poorly with either mental or physical illness to actually attend mainstream. So right. I'm um, teaching GCSE Art and Design at the moment. And I went to China and that was in 2016. So yeah, quite different. Yes, I remember that because that's when we that's when we were teaching together. I remember I remember you going to China, and I remember you coming back with some of the things that we're going to talk about tonight. <laughs> wow. Okay. So, um, what was it that made you can decide between you who wants to go first with this one? What was it that made you choose where you went? Was there something that? really intrigued you about teaching in that specific place or was it that someone came to you and said look we've got this opportunity this is what you're going to be doing out there what do you think for me it was um it was like a bid to tender i suppose they said that there was an opportunity for art lecturers um, across the uk to bid for a place to go and teach the chinese teachers how we deliver the art curriculum in the uk right so, it was actually quite a big process. It was like a, an interview, we had to write a submission proposal, do lesson plans, a scheme of work, explain what the resources would be. And it was quite a big process. It was almost like you were trying to sell yourself to say why you think you would be um, a good person for them to pay for you to go over and actually teach their teachers. So it was quite a long process, but I did think what an amazing opportunity it would be and china was on my bucket list so <laughs> oh wow what a great choice yeah, then great yeah so michelle could i just ask you just to turn your microphone up just a little bit for us we've just had someone say that they can't really hear you that well okay hopefully <clears throat> you can hear me a bit better now <laughs> that's a little bit better where i am i hope that's okay thank you hb history for letting us know um yeah so it was quite a long process to go through but like i say china was on my bucket list and I thought that opportunity, especially because they paid for everything for me to go over, yeah, was just an, an amazing opportunity for me. How long were you there for? It was actually just over two weeks, so it doesn't seem very long, but the days there were very long, which I know we'll talk about at some point. Yes, we will. Yeah, it was very intensive, but absolutely amazing. Yeah. What about you, Debbie? How did you get the opportunity to go to Ghana? Um, so basically, mine was very different from Michelle because mine was not organised at all. I sat there, I think, over Christmas after a pretty tough year. And I thought, you know what? I really miss doing something out of the box, you know? Um, right. I'd done the like, you know, working in Camp America. I'd done the gap year in Australia. And I was thinking, oh, you know, is this life now just sort of 
work every day and then home. So I thought, you know what, there must be something out there that I can do as a teacher in the school holiday. So I was sitting at my mum's house and I was like looking really late. I stood up all night and I was just finding all these websites. Um, yeah. yeah. And then I found this one about like low cost volunteering opportunities. I had teaching on the list um, and I was like, wow, there are so many placements. Um, and I just remember looking through them all and kind of shortening my list, like, you know, what areas of the world would I like to go to? And I think the reason I chose Ghana is because it's somewhere that you probably wouldn't just go for a holiday. So it was somewhere that I probably would never go again. Um, and it just looked, you know, just wow. Um, so I did a bit of research. I found out that obviously their first, well, not the first language, but they do speak English as one of their main languages. Um, right. And it was relatively politically stable. So I thought, OK, I'm going to go for it. <laughs> so I sent them an email and then they're like, sure, come along. And I was like, OK, do I need to do anything? Do I need to fill in any paperwork? They're like, no, no, just get a visa and book your flights. And I was thinking, oh, this doesn't oh, sound gosh. very organised. Like, um, Kate Winslet in the holiday. <laughs> it was a, a bit impulsive, shall we say. Yeah. Um, but I don't regret a minute of it. It sounds like a fantastic adventure from what we've been talking about kind of leading up to this evening. Um, what, were, what were your first impressions when you arrived? Because obviously it was a very spontaneous kind of arrival, <laughs> if you like. It was indeed. And actually, um, I landed, you know, I emailed the day before saying, well, you know, I'm arriving tomorrow. Um, is, is someone <laughs> going to be there or, you know, how does this work? And I said, don't worry, someone will pick you up at the airport. So, OK. Right. So um, I remember landing and just sort of looking around like, wow, this is so alien to me. This is such a different culture. And I was looking around for, you know, someone with my name or, you know, but nothing. Um so I just kind of wandered around a little bit um, and an hour later I saw a guy holding up my name on a sign and I was like oh okay this is good oh thank goodness um, so <laughs> yeah I mean it's just typical Ghanaian time you know they're very very laid back generally so um, yeah as soon as I saw Jamal there to pick me up I was very relieved and, um, and off on my way to the house where we'd all be staying to do our teaching or other people were doing medical placements and stuff like that I see so it wasn't that you were there by yourself there were kind of a group kind of inducted into different sections areas Areas, etc. Exactly. So I wasn't yeah. there by myself at all. Obviously, I'd applied by myself and gone on myself, gone by myself. Um, but straight away, there were, you know, so many other people from all over the world, and they were just amazing. It was just wonderful. Oh my goodness, that, that really sounds wonderful. And you've literally only just arrived. I can't wait to find out more. Um, <laughs> Michelle, what was it like when you arrived in China? I assume it was a lot more structured because it had been organised as kind of like an arranged transfer to teach over there i had hoped it would be <laughs> ah. <laughs> um, so i was assured that everybody in um, shanghai speaks english or can speak english so when i arrived um that wasn't the case and i had um sort of what they called like translations of different phrases so i had it in english and then the um, chinese version was written um, above it so I could find which phrase I wanted and try and point to the to the question or whatever it was and ask somebody but nobody would even look at the sheet <laughs> they were too scared because they thought I was going to try and talk to them and they didn't know how to speak English so oh gosh shock to the system um trying to find my way around and also it was minus eight degrees when we got there and it was the cold sorry winter. minus eight yeah <laughs> when did you go what, when it was, was it January <laughs> oh right okay okay but it was one of the coldest winters I'd had in a very long time. So right. it was, yeah, it was a bit of a nightmare. But when I eventually got to Suzhou, which is where the training centre was, yeah. um, I arrived at the hotel and I'd been travelling for about 36 hours altogether. Um, right. And I thought, right, I just need a bath. And literally the, the hotel phone rang and said, we're coming to pick you up in 20 minutes because they're going to host a dinner for you. And it was it was so lovely that they were going to do that. But at the same time, I thought, I really just want to go to bed. Oh, bless. <laughs> but they were so hospitable that they knew I'd travelled. And so they'd put on a big sort of feast for me arriving. That is lovely. that is something that China are actually renowned for, isn't it? Is it true? Oh, just to go off topic a little bit, because that's what I do. Um, is it true that when you have a meal, if you completely clear your plate, they think you have they haven't given you enough and they refill it? Oh yeah, absolutely. Is that true? Oh my goodness! Really? Enough? Yeah, very, very hospitable, and want to make sure that you're well fed, well looked after. 
yeah that you that you can't come home with any bad stories i think you know they really want to make sure that you do come home sort of made to feel welcome yeah yeah so was that the same when you first went into the classroom with the students then the students were fantastic um but i think that's more a cultural thing in that they were very respectful with no sort of arguments back um, yeah trying to be diplomatic here um thinking yeah. <laughs> you know sort of the general issues that we might have with teenagers for example um it's not like that at all because they're in education they go to education yeah. to learn so they sit down they be quiet so they were fe and... students effectively yeah, yeah yeah okay okay i see i see debbie your environment was very different because obviously you were working with you were, you were volunteering with younger children in ghana um so can you describe their their typical school day to us what was their kind of like start when they got there was it exactly the same as you know registration straight into lessons or was it you know incredibly different to that um it was incredibly different now the reason i chose the younger ones is because i teach uh, obviously a levels uh, yeah. so it was very much like you know what i'm going to do something completely out of my comfort zone um and i remember getting nice. there on my first day and the teacher just said this is going to be your class um, and i need to go and get my little boy some malaria medicine so you can teach now and i was just like oh um right and there's all these small children just looking at me sitting in rows and i'm thinking i've got not a clue what i'm going to do it was just absolute panic it's very unstructured unlike yeah. what it sounds like michelle was doing uh, you know it was very much do what you want it's fine there's not really a plan here um so yeah there was that moment of panic and then i just started sort of looking at what they've been doing they've been writing poems and you know just like basic oh, addition lovely. and stuff like that so i just kind of got stuck in really how many did you have in the class and what age were they? Um, they were between four and six. It was classed as preschool, oh, I believe. Right. Okay. Uh, they, so they were, you know, really quite young. Uh, and I think they were at that age where some of them really appreciated this educational opportunity that they were getting, but others were too young to really appreciate it. Whereas I also yeah. did actually teach in the evenings down at the fishing village and they were sort of older. They were 10 to 13 and they literally hung on every word and they, there was just this buzz every time you spoke every time they spoke they just had their hands up saying madame please madame pick me you know um whereas the littlies they were you know some of them appreciated it and some didn't so bit of a mix what was the length of the school day well do you know what i honestly can't answer that because i was just doing mornings because in the afternoon really? I, was okay. off, I was at the orphanage working with some kids there um right. similar sort of stuff but not formal teaching so i was just doing until midday Wow, you you embraced the teaching abroad, didn't you? That's oh, wow. I just throw myself how wonderful, in. How wonderful. Oh my goodness, that sounds fantastic. So this question is to both of you. What are the biggest differences that you would say between the country that you were in compared to the UK? I'll let you two chat this one out. In terms of education or just in general? Yeah. Well in gen in gen sort of culturally. So was there like was there like a massive culture shock going into a different country, having to do things in a specific way, but then also navigate your way through teaching as well? Um, I think because where I went, it was a non-westernised town, so there was yeah. absolutely no English written translations anywhere. So I had to have an interpreter with me. The language barrier was probably yeah, the massive, biggest thing. Yeah, mm. massive language barrier issue. However, um, I was able to use a map and go out walking and you know go and explore things by myself. But I was quite surprised when I got lost um, and I couldn't sort of navigate my way around the subway. And I went to ask a police officer a question and they all shouted at me because apparently you're not allowed to approach police officers in China. And I didn't know that. How were you meant to know that? <laughs> that I wouldn't know that. No. Oh my goodness. I thought normally we'd go to the police if we needed help. But, yeah, An angry policeman shouting at you in Chinese. <laughs> um, and regards to in the classroom, it was just very much, you know, they're so respectful and they are keen and want to learn. Um, and when you said about how long the days are, their, mm. their school days are absolutely horrendous compared to here. They really? start as Go early on. as seven or eight in the morning. Um, and then they would be in school until maybe 6 p.m. But they'd also all be expected to, to learn a musical instrument and do Saturday school. So they only had um, Sundays off. Wow. So, and it was, it was a very long day. So even in the mornings, um, I found this quite strange is that they would have for their breakfast what we would have as an evening meal. So they would have full on like 
massive meals of um, soup and dumplings and chow mein and you know yeah. lots of meat and vegetables and they would be eating this in the morning and I'd sit there with my cereal <laughs> <laughs> I just got visions of you with your cheerios yeah literally and they're all sat there eating like these full main meals and um but it was just because it keeps them going until later because well I'm not surprised if they're starting school at seven or eight in the morning and they're not finishing till six at night and then they've yeah. got to do a Saturday learning a musical instrument yeah I mean I'd, I'd be I'd be eating that like three meals a day yeah exactly. they do, can you imagine can you imagine our kids having to do those hours <laughs> this is what genuinely I all the time when they moan about something I'm like well just be grateful you're in the UK let's go to China <laughs> shall yeah, we definitely. <laughs> oh gosh what about you Debbie so the biggest culture shock for me was just the fact that people were everywhere all the time. And I'm one of these people that at the end of the day, I like to kind of have that time to decompress, but you did not get a minute because oh, everyone exactly was just so friendly. They were like the warmest, most hospitable people. But of course, they you know, they wanted to talk and there was just just people everywhere all the time, you know, yeah. out on the streets at nights. So they, they don't tend to, um, I guess, well, the people in the town I was living in, they didn't spend really time in their their homes because their yeah. homes are quite basic, I guess. So they just sleep there, really. So they were out I on see. the streets, just sort of ch sitting, chatting with neighbours, cooking out on the street. Um, so there's just so many people. That was the biggest thing I noticed about the culture, but also that how grown up the children were in many ways. So in the UK, even the, even the littlies that are like four or six. Um, yes and no. I'd say more so when they get to sort of six, seven, eight. Uh, okay. There just didn't really seem to be this big divide between adults and children like there are in the UK. So, for example, one day the school flooded in the playground and there was um, sort of rain everywhere. And the older children were just kind of getting brooms together made out of bundles of branches and twigs. And they were just sweeping the water out of the playground without being asked. They just kind of pitched in and helped because they knew that's what would be a good thing to do. That's amazing. I don't even think I would have figured out to do that. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I would either. I think I stood there watching them like, oh, wow. <laughs> They're really That's, switched on, aren't they? <laughs> that is actually ingenious. That is actually yeah. ingenious. Oh, my goodness. So relationships with the staff and the students when you were over there was good. You were kind of made to feel inclusively part of the kind of teaching team, if you like, and you developed relationships with 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 the kids that you were working with what the time that you were there yes absolutely um my interpreter was just she was amazing her name was xiao xiao and she ended up sort of taking me under her wing and in the evenings she would um collect me in an uber and um we would amazing. go to um different places like to coffee shops and things um her english was fantastic um, yeah so she she was just absolutely lovely really helped me see what the culture was like and took me to some sort of ancient streets um that were part of the sort of protected areas and things and i saw some actual i suppose i'm going to say real china <laughs> no touristy parts you know it was right, yeah. track only where locals could go because you know you can't understand the language basically um so, yeah. And obviously not everywhere, not everywhere could be touristy. I mean, you know, there, there are areas, you know, people just live and do their Absolutely. life, do life yeah. and that. Oh, lots of people yeah. stopped and took photos of me because because they were so um, surprised to see. They would, somebody shouted um, white, they just shouted white, white at me. Oh, <laughs> now, wow. You know, okay. You know, I'm like the palest person in the Literally, world. Literally, so. yeah. <laughs> but I was short enough to fit in with everybody. So that was brilliant. Oh, bless you. That's adorable. <laughs> but, yeah, but no, they, they would um, be quite shocked to see me and people would stop their cars and stare. Um, because they weren't having used yeah. to having like tourists, etc. in yeah, those absolutely. specific areas that you were visiting. Yeah. That's actually really lovely and kind of an intimate visit into kind of that side of the culture it that was. you were teaching in to be able really to, yeah, to be able to kind of see that side of those students that you were meeting and understand more about where they came from and, the and why they learned the way they did. The students would bring in traditional snacks and things for me to try. Um, now, you know I like my food. <laughs> I do. Let's go. Come on. Do you know what? I've actually got on my plan for this evening that I wrote. Where is it? There's a piece of paper here. And I've got a list of all really nicely organised bullet points. And then just in capital letters, underlined twice, next to Michelle is food. Food. You know I've got some food stories. Yeah. <laughs> just don't talk about the fish in the bowl. Ugh, no, <laughs> no. But they were—they were, they were <coughs> really like they really wanted us to like me to embrace their culture and and try it and you know take part in it. So they would bring in traditional snacks and 
different teas to try and it was just amazing it was lovely that they all wanted me to sort of have all these experiences yeah do you know what I love about that the fact that that just completely backs up the fact that that when you're a teacher you never stop learning oh absolutely doesn't it I mean how fantastic is that and the experiences that you learn and the things that you tried and found out and explored while you were there you then brought them home with you and then were able to put all of that experience into what you were then doing here which will bring us on to what we're going to talk about in a little bit oh my goodness Debbie (laughs) what was the food like in Ghana no in all seriousness the food (laughs) Food. No, the food. We're not going to talk about the food. What's the food in Ghana? Um, well, at the time I was vegetarian, so it was a bit tricky. Oh, okay. <laughs> it was a bit tricky. Um, yeah, I, I did actually find that they don't have cheese anywhere, so I couldn't find cheese. But oh, I can't go, they there. I sold can't go there then. Bounty bars. I could find bounty bars and bourbon biscuits. They were like the two things I could find in like really random amazing. shops. So I always had a stash of those. Yes. And apart from that, it was just things like the bread was always sweet bread. They never had like savoury bread. So it was sweet bread. Um, we had, you know, eggs, rice, beans, stuff like that. Oh, wow. Okay. Awesome. And I've forgotten right. what the original question was. So I can't even remember either because we're just doing what we always do when the three of us are actually having a chat, aren't we? <laughs> yeah. So what I'm going to do is I am going to take a short break for the news and for this week's Two Minute Tech. But first of all, I just must mention our other sponsor for this week's show, which is the With the Slack group a leading provider of specialist education and care. They need people like you to help them achieve even more. Uh, With a Slack, you'll be given all the resources and support you need, offered a clear path to career progression and rewarded with some of the best salaries and benefits the industry has to offer. Check out their vacancies at withaslackgroup.co.uk. So we're we're sponsored by the With a Slack group tonight and we're also sponsored by John Cat Educational. You can check out the johncatbookshop.com to explore their full range of titles. Debbie and Michelle are still with us. We are talking about teaching abroad this evening and we have covered loads of things from kind of the lead up to how they came to teach abroad in a specific place what made them choose that location or where they were taken in that location and talking about a typical school day and the biggest differences between their that country and teaching the UK with kind of things like culture shocks and things so let's come back and talk some more and I can guarantee you halfway through an answer the news is just going to randomly start playing so we'll go with it um Ladies, how did the places that you taught in deal with things like students with learning disabilities, for example? That was um, something I was quite aware of because my background was with special needs. So I'm always very hyper aware that those sort of things are put in place. And um, when I got there, I said, you know, what happens with students that have any learning difficulties or disabilities? And it was basically a shh, we don't talk about that. really yeah I was like what do you mean um so the way it was told to me was that they would have um specialist schools but that they they don't really have the integration into mainstream so for us we would very much try and have all students integrated into mainstream classes but just put special provisions in place um for them it was that they would they just wouldn't have that so all the students that were in their class were all doing the same work at the same time and therefore they wouldn't have the capability to um, support somebody with learning difficulties in their classes. Really? Was that, was that, was that even to sort of those with dyslexia and things like that? Yeah. Wow. Oh my goodness. I can't yeah, that... kind of feel like, you know, you sink or swim. <laughs> well, exactly. Exactly, it is, isn't it? And were there, did you come across many students that were struggling at all or that were sort of, you, you kind of saw that they could have benefited from some additional support? No, because everybody I met was talented and it was, again, very bizarre in that we, every year, our different cohorts, we obviously have massive divisions between, you know, the levels of um, ability and everybody there was able to do everything that I was asking them to do in right. the, sense of the way that they did their drawing or um, how they use different media and it's like I think they've learned it from such a young age and they've all been shown the same things that they were all able to do it if that makes sense so right. each year they're told how to do certain things so 
in one of their classes, they would be in rows and rows and rows of, of students, but they would all be doing paper cutting um, or they would all be doing uh, observational drawing, for example. And it was very much kind of on rote. It was, this is what we're doing and then we're moving on to the next thing. Yeah. There wasn't any of that differentiation like we have. Right. Right. Did you feel in any way that obviously being aware of that when when you were in the classroom with the students um, and kind of reflectively afterwards, do you feel that in any way you kind of didn't necessarily get the full teaching experience that you would have potentially liked out there and the opportunities to be able to stretch and challenge the teachers in the way that those that potentially had difficulties were able to access the arts? I think it was more that they... um wouldn't want to admit if they were struggling. I see. Um, so everybody is able to do it. And that, oh, I don't know how to say it without sounding mean. Like, it's almost like they wouldn't want to come across as being the weak link, you know, right. um, because they were all very um, conscientious and wanted to do the work. Or, you know, they all sat down and got their heads down and got on with it. So yeah it's, it's really strange it was you know nice but at the same time I was encouraging them to be themselves and try and show a bit of personality and you know try something a bit different did you see some students develop personalities a little bit more with you whilst you were working with them oh god yeah it was amazing yeah. by the end um they'd asked the translator how to say certain things and how to write things and a few of them wrote me a letter um and they said that they loved me <laughs> they um will take on board what i taught them and that they will start implementing some of the ideas that i'd given them in their classes and that they were so um inspired to try these new things that they'd never even heard of before yeah. which were all very generic british art teaching things <laughs> so to me it was all just things that anybody that we know that's in an art career would say oh yeah that's normal you know <laughs> can you give that. us a for instance so um i one of the lessons i did was we got vegetables and we did printmaking with vegetables so cutting i don't know an onion in half and then covering it in paint and then doing printmaking with it but then where that print was i then drew a figure and the print of the half an onion ended up being the bottom of a skirt so i designed like a, a fashion figure with a with an outfit from an onion <laughs> and that sounds incredible like, this is crazy <laughs> did that like blow them away yeah. <laughs> they were if they were working with paper and then to come in with vegetables yeah exactly they were looking at me like i was crazy like why she got vegetables <laughs> how fantastic though yeah, i love that. that that's fantastic nice. that's brilliant what about you debbie oh the learning difficulty thing yeah okay so um, I don't really think it was recognised at all. Um, I okay. had one little boy in mind. His name was Alfred, and I think he was maybe four or five. Now, bear in mind that a lot of the other four or five-year-olds could read and write, and he just absolutely couldn't. Um, so, I know. And he was so, I guess, fidgety, couldn't sit still in his seat. But all that happened was that they just caned him a lot. So they'd rip um, a bit of like the palm tree off and make kind of a cane from it and they would just walk around like slapping him on the arms oh every goodness. time he misbehaved or spoke or did anything that they didn't want him to do um i remember the teacher telling me that you know she was going to make sure he passed his exam at the end of the year because she didn't want him in her class anymore um because he was lazy and good for wow. nothing so wow. yeah that was a little bit heartbreaking because he was just adorable wow sorry i'm just dealing with that mm. that is yeah. mad I can't believe that. Yeah. My goodness. Um, so yeah, so it, it just it in a similar thing, it wasn't recognised, but they were kind of uh I don't I, I don't even know what word to use, chastised for it, I suppose. Whereas I guess, but it was just that I think one teacher because the rest of them they were just like, Oh, it's just Alfred and it was just one teacher that just really seemed to have it in for him. I think she just had it in her head he was a really naughty child. Right. So Oh my goodness me. Um, so I checked on the socials before I came live tonight and we had loads of loads of sort of com I've, I've been sharing a week that you both of you are coming on with me tonight and I've had quite a lot of comments that I do want to share with you and a couple of them are questions that I know you're going to be able to answer. Um, one of them is um, 
would you go back? Okay, you want me to take this it's one very first? Simple, would, very simple question. Yeah. Would, you, would you go back to the same place that you went before? I and would. Do you, do you think that they are still are, are still or have utilised the things that you implemented when you were there? Okay, so I would go back in a heartbeat. Um, I feel like for me, three weeks wasn't long enough. However, yeah. I knew that I, I, you know, it was just something that I was doing in the summer holidays. I would love to do it longer term now is not the time you know i have a house and a dog and stuff so but in the future yes, i would definitely yeah. go back to exactly the same place uh, i don't really feel like you know i set the world on fire when i was there it was very much a case of they're understaffed i'm there i can do some teaching but i didn't really have a chance i guess to implement anything new because it was just sort of hold you know, taken over the reins for a few weeks yeah yeah what about you michelle I think for me it's a little bit different in that it was it was lovely. I felt like I did inspire them and I would love to go back and just see if they were able to put those different things in place in their classes. Um, mm. However, from a personal point of view, if I was going to go back, I'd love to go to a different part of China to experience the culture in a different part because I know each of the different provinces is, is very different. So I think if I was going to go all the way back to China, I'd probably like to go to Beijing or, or somewhere. Um, so it's kind of half and half. I'd love to see um, the people there that I, was, I saw previously yeah, to see if they were able to make those differences in the classes because it's very prescribed what they learn. Um, the government... That's a great way of describing it. So, yeah, so it's very, yeah, they, they kind of be told what to do. And I feel like I really... Um, ruffled up some feathers in a good way so I'd like in a good way absolutely yeah, absolutely that's really interesting actually and one thing I did want to ask you Michelle because I did notice on my little list of I can see people that have been listening this evening one of whom is the lady who I interviewed two weeks ago called Rupinda who is the lead of creative arts at Sandhurst College and I was going to she we she was basically we, we talked for an hour about the importance of the creative arts for opportunities, be it personally, in work, in life, the doors that it just opens generally. And I just wondered, like you said, you know, um, they're very prescribed with their education over there. What do, what do they believe that the arts are there for? What is their kind of direction for students going into the arts in China? Think it just is, for Rupinder's benefit. Yeah, I think it's <laughs> based on um, talent and whether they would be good enough to use that art as an actual career. I see. Um, so they, uh, yeah, they're basically all taught the same thing at the same time. Um, so each of the students would be working on the same project, doing the same technique, um, using the same media and processes. Um, and you know, if they were absolutely fantastic at it, then that's great. And they are all striving to be the best at it. So I think from the point of view of who's the best at it, rather than it being from a therapeutic point of view, for example, um, which is sort of where I come from, really, I think it's a, an amazing way to express yourself and sort of relax as well. I like yeah. I find ways that the students can, can use it in their own time as well. Absolutely. Yeah very very different <laughs> it's, it's so different so different it's almost like a complete polar opposite of teaching in the uk isn't it and one of the things i wrote down off the back of our chats is the opposite to i literally wrote opposite to the uk parents trust in teachers in other countries and i think that was one of your quotes michelle actually that i wrote down yeah, because it feels like um one of the biggest things about teaching abroad was that the students were all very respectful and yeah. uh, I didn't ever get the impression that if you had an issue with a student that it would come back on you necessarily. So in the UK, it's, it's obviously very different to what it was um, 20 years ago, that if a, a parent got a phone call home from the school, the student would be in a lot of trouble. But nowadays we have a lot of issues with the parents as a teacher. Um, yeah. And that when, if we say that something's happened with the student, the, the parent would say, well, what are you going to do about it? And it's coming back on us again. So it was it yeah. was really nice to know that basically that they had your back, you know, that they, they knew that the students were there to be well behaved and that they weren't going to dis, um, misbehave because they would get in trouble themselves. Yeah, so, yeah absolutely. 
yeah that's that's actually a really interesting point that's a really interesting point debbie how did your experience teaching in ghana influence the kind of teacher you are today because obviously it was such a different setting and such a different experience to teaching fe students and a level but what did what did what did you take away from it as a teacher as kind of the most positive part of the experience? I think in terms of teaching, very honestly, not much, uh, because as okay. I said, it was a totally different age group, um, and it was that's very what much I mean. Yeah, teaching in. However, I think I took away, I guess, some more a change of attitude and a change of mindset. So a few things really. Um, firstly, it made me realise like how lucky we are in the UK because yeah. the school I was at, it was the whole school was literally like the size of a sports hall. Um, there's a playground in the middle. The whole it had like school. four kind of yeah, like the whole school with just four huts dotted around it and the playground in the middle. Um, right. So um, there was like kind of no walls on either side of the hut, so you could like see the next class. They didn't have any. Um, materials I guess you you know you couldn't do some art and crafts with them they didn't have any glue sticks or anything like that they literally just had their exercise books they didn't have textbooks and maybe that's because they were the smaller ones and I think as they get older they would have some sort of textbooks yeah. but we didn't really have anything it was very much like a chalkboard and their exercise books and a pen that was it um, so it made me realize I guess how lucky we are in the UK um, even to the point where you know, we have sort of security at school, you know, the doors lock at the end of the night, but you know, this school, it had broken bottles stuck into the top of the walls all around the perimeter to stop people climbing over, to stop people like burgling it at nighttime. So that just made me realize, I guess, the, the level of uh, poverty, I suppose. Yeah. Um, so I took that away from it. And also for me, because I'm quite, um, I guess, regimented, I would say, person, in terms of my planning and I'm very meticulous about you know how yes. I got everything done in advance kind of throwing me in the deep end was for me it changed it made me I guess a bit more looser in terms of how I go about things it made me a bit more laid back and I guess not, not so stressy. Did you find that quite uncomfortable initially? I said that did. lack of <laughs> going oh my god this isn't how I do it where's my spreadsheet? I did and at one point <laughs> I remember sitting there and I was thinking I've got the most terrible singing voice by the way and I was singing with the kids you and you know just no I am not oh, <laughs> I don't want to torment all your listeners uh so I yeah I remember doing that and I was just thinking what am I doing I never ever thought I'd be doing this but in a way I was just like wow this is so different and so out of my comfort zone and something I'm never going to do again but I did Definitely. it and I can do it and it made me have belief in myself so that was pretty good yeah Definitely, definitely. Um, one question that came in from um, a friend of a friend of mine called Mark. He says, um, if there was no specific kind of direct curriculum, what was the assessment and process and tracking process with students, or was it kind of a bit of a free for all? That's to both so, of you, by the way. Okay, so where I was, as I said, I was with the Littleys, as I keep saying, yeah. uh, it, it appeared very much like there wasn't, I mean, the teachers did take the exercise books home. And I know that because there was a couple of times half the students didn't have them because the teacher had them and the teacher was off sick that day. So I know for a fact their work was being marked, etc. They do have an end of year exam, as I said, to progress up to the next class. Okay. But I'm not sure they tracked the same way we would in terms of, you know, target grades, etc. I don't think they'd have the target grades. It's very much like, are you meeting the bare minimum? Yes. If so, you can pass. If not, then, you know, you won't move on to the next year. Right. So what, what was the progression in, in that kind of educational environment? They went from year to year. What was what? what was the kind of the transition from kind of that age group to the older age group going into what would be secondary school year seven I suppose and 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 beyond what was what was their kind of journey well because I only was there for a short time and I only work with the four to six year olds I'm not entirely sure you don't kind of yeah so that's the thing you don't know where they kind of would have gone next no oh, I believe um, that the classes you know you'd stay in that that sort of primary school yes and you just move up to the next class with the other teacher that's what I was led to believe yeah. okay so yeah so this the structure is relatively the same but with kind of a freedom of learning for the teacher in there kind of yeah yeah um, yeah all right they were expected to stay in education until they're 23 really yeah so it was expected that they would go on to university and basically do a master's straight after Right. So, wow. Okay. So they went 
GCSE into further education slash A-levels and then university yeah. and a master's. Yeah. What? Right. Okay. And, so and that was, yeah. It's kind of expected. <laughs> goodness. No pressure. <laughs> My goodness. Right. Okay. We are coming towards the end of the interrogation, ladies. Do not worry. Um, a really nice question to sort of get ready to come to the end because I've got some I've got some lovely messages to read out with regards to kind of we're going to come to the end point of um, why we're talking about teaching abroad today. What was your overall happiest moment of your experience teaching in a different country? That's a hard one, isn't it? Because there were so many good bits. Yeah, so many. Um... But what would what would be kind of your your biggest highlight? So I said, pick a moment in that two three weeks you were there. That's the thing that you will never forget. I absolutely love learning about other cultures. So I've been very lucky to travel to lots of countries, and I think it was an amazing opportunity to be in that culture and really sort of submerged, getting to experience it with my translator. Mm. But. I think I've got a photo of it actually. There was a um, presentation that the students did at the end and it was to basically feed back everything that I taught them in that time um, to see if it, if, if it had been taken on board really. And right. um, they had drawn lots of things from that whole week. Um, and it was beautiful because obviously a drawing can be um, seen by anybody without needing to translate it. Um, yeah and they had written i uh, we love you michelle <laughs> oh gosh beautiful. don't I just really felt like i'd made a difference that's and, really beautiful you know, like a memory board kind and, of yeah, thing it was yeah it was it was really lovely that's really wonderful because that's such a wonderful experience for you and such a lovely memory for you but it also shows of what a fabulous impact that you had on their lives and the fact that they're going to remember you as well which is just wonderful <laughs> Oh, how lovely. Oh, gosh, Debbie. So for me... Please tell me Alfred was okay. <laughs> he was fine. He was a pretty, Good. pretty resilient Excellent. little guy. So for me, I think... That I was thinking about this earlier because I had a feeling you'd ask something like this. Um, and one memory that stands out was taking all the students to a, a trip. I thought okay. we're going to the beach. It got a bit confusing. We're going to somewhere called like Crocrobite Beach. And I was thinking, oh, we're taking the students to the beach for the day. We were not. Excellent. It was the name of the town. They were opening up a new school there. So oh. we sort of took all the kids there. And they, our students, little, I, don't, I didn't know this because it was the older ones in the, our, you know, our school. They'd actually prepared a dance for everyone in the village. And just watching them, I felt so... I know proud I guess even though they weren't my particular class I was just like wow this is my kids from my school and they're doing this dance to all the villagers and they can dance they are amazing and I just yeah. stood there like oh this is fantastic I just I just oh, it was just that heartwarming moment that sounds wonderful what that's really beautiful and they shared that with you as well for you know in the same way that Michelle impacted so positively on her students it was the same they wanted to show that to you as well because of the time that you'd spent with them that's so beautiful I really love that so the kind of crux of the show is this do you think every teacher should teach abroad at least once now, some of the responses I've had in, I'm going to read them to you. I've, got, I've picked, I've picked kind of, I've picked three specifically that I'm going to share with you. Jess from EYFS has put, "Yes, everyone should. You just might not go home." Um, and Helen, who is an ESOL teacher, put, "No, everyone shouldn't teach abroad. It's such a different system." It's an entirely different system, but everyone should broaden their horizons by travelling it if they can. Mark, who's a geography teacher, has said, I'd love to, but with kids the ages they are and parents ageing quicker than I'd like, it will remain a what if for now. However, I'd love to teach in Sweden, Iceland, New Zealand or Canada and would happily live in any of those places as well. Would you, could you, would you ever consider moving to one of those places that you taught in because you fell in love with the country? I think it would be very difficult, I think, because of exactly what he said about the ageing parents and... yeah your children that sort of thing i think ideally it'd be something you would do prior to settling down um because you would have to up and move your whole family and that must Same. be very difficult but i do think the opportunity to um try teaching in a different country 
is amazing and that everybody should do it if they can. I do understand it's a very so yes, system, but yes, I think it's just such an amazing experience and a chance to really also be so grateful for what we have and and sort of the way that we run things. Um, yeah, just definitely everyone should do it if they can. Yeah. If there was a place that you could go to, if you were given the opportunity to go and teach abroad again, but not in China, Michelle, where would you go? Um, hmm, that's a difficult one. I've never thought about that. I think I'd love to go to somewhere like uh, Norway or Sweden because I understand that their um, the early years side of it is very different in that they don't really have a education like we do, which is sort of written and spelling and, you know, all of that sort of stuff. It's more to do with um, actually building them up as people. And yes. I think that would be very, very interesting. A really significant way of learning as opposed to academically learning to pass certain assessments. Absolutely, yeah. yeah <laughs> Yeah. Did you hear what did you hear Daisy's amazing quote on Tom's show earlier? You can't assessment your way out of a curriculum problem. How amazing is that quote? That yeah. needs to go. That's going on a T-shirt. Yeah. <laughs> Debbie? So I think everyone should if they have the opportunity. Um, and often people think it's, oh, I have to give up a year of my life or whatever. I have to yes. you know, completely change things. But you don't. I mean, I did it in my summer holidays. Obviously, that's not the case for everyone if they have kids. Do you think that's what prevents a lot of people from I doing it? I think so, yeah. But I mean, if you're single or if you have a supportive partner that wouldn't mind you going on a two, three week holiday even, you know, maybe just go somewhere really random that, you know, isn't just a beach holiday and just try something different because it, it does change the way you think and it, it does make you see the world in a totally different way. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And if you had the opportunity to go and teach abroad again that wasn't Ghana, I know you've spent some time in America as well, but where would you where would you go out of choice? Anywhere in Europe. I probably would go to somewhere like Poland because I, I've been learning Polish. I'm not very good at it, though, so don't ask me to speak any. Um, Do you either yeah, I... speak Polish or sing? You need to make a decision. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, so, yeah, I probably would um, go for Poland just because um, I really like it and I've been there a few times. But anywhere in Europe, really. Yeah. 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 Oh, that's fantastic. Oh, ladies. Do you know what, ladies? I've had the best evening hanging out with you tonight on the radio talking about teaching abroad. I do have one more question, which isn't actually about teaching abroad. This is, I've kind of made a decision after I did, I did a show with one of um, Teacher Talk Radio's other amazing presenters called Shaniqua a few weeks ago before I started doing the Late Late Show. And one of her things, she has a thing where she asks a specific question at the end of her show. I was like, I'm going to nip that, but not the same question. Um, so I sent it to you earlier. So you have had a little bit of time to think about it. Is there a specific teacher that you had when you were growing up? Not that necessarily inspired you to be a teacher, but that kind of got you through and made you think, do you know what? I'm going to be all right. Everything's going to be fine. Me again. Sorry, Debbie. You know, I don't stop talking. <laughs> um, I think we just let you go first now, Michelle. <laughs> um, I've got two. So go on. was our history teacher. And I just felt like he always made the lessons interesting. Um, he made up rhymes to make us learn who had, you know, discovered penicillin even, you know, whatever it was. It was everything he did, he just made it interesting. So we really looked forward to his lessons. And the other one was our um, textiles teacher. And she inspired me to go on to do a fashion degree and end up teaching fashion and textiles um, before I did my GCSE art stuff. So. You know, she really inspired me into what, what career I've done, actually. So you're creative to the bones right from the start. <laughs> oh, lovely. And you're, it sounds like your history teacher was very creative yeah. as well, putting Mr. like rhymes Harvey. and things into lessons. Mr. Harvey. Oh, hello, Mr. Harvey. I hope you're listening. <laughs> what about you, Debbie? Who was your inspirational teacher? So obviously I had the, the really lovely teachers that everyone likes and that you're really warm to so a few names yes. would be you know Miss Ray my RS teacher Anita Sawyer from my college teaching me psychology and Mr Ng he was one of my absolute favorites growing up but I think name. the one that inspired I know Mr Ng it's Mr. great isn't it the one that inspired that me the most though was a lady called Anne Fazy and she was my sociology teacher Okay. And the reason for that was that she challenged everything I said and she made me think about life in a totally different way. So 
she was the first person I'd ever heard about that was going on protests and stuff on the weekend. And I was like, well, what, what is this? You know, protest? Why would we be protesting? You know, at that age, I took everything for granted that, you know, society was good, the government was good. And she, I guess, opened my eyes and made me realise that there's a lot of stuff out there that people need to stand up for. She sounds like a fabulous lady. She is awesome. Yeah, she sounds really, really wicked. Debbie and Michelle, thank you so much for joining me this evening on Teachers Talk Radio. It's been so great. Thank you for coming. Would you would you consider at some point in the future coming back on to have a chat about something else? So I think Certainly we could. could do I think we could do like a whole series, quite frankly. <laughs> yes, <laughs> But do you know what? I'll, I'll have figured the tech out next time. <laughs> I was gonna say and if you can mute, mute me yourself, maybe. <laughs> no, 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 I didn't write the also ones about muting you. I was more worried about the news unmuting, to be honest with you. But there we are, we'll figure it out. It's absolutely fine. Thank you so much, ladies. No, Thank you. It's lovely to catch up with you both again. Lovely to catch up. We'll have coffee and cake soon. <laughs> we will. Bye. Take care. Bye. See you soon. Bye bye. That was Debbie Bryden and Michelle McLeod, my guests this evening on The Late Late Show, talking about teaching abroad. And I feel like we could have carried on for another hour and a half, quite frankly. I am back with you on the 19th of December, just before Christmas, before we finish for Christmas. And I have to tell you, I am super excited about the guest I have on with me that evening. I'm so excited. I'm going to tell you about them now. Their name is Steph Levey, and they have just been crowned as Pearson's FE Lecturer of the Year. They were presented with the award on BBC's The One Show, and I am going to be talking to Steph on the 19th of December. Join me again then at 9pm. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.